What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Wicked. Wicked is a great Bitcoiner who does a lot for the space, including making a lot of animations and encourages people and educates people through Twitter spaces. So that's how him and I met. We get into a little bit about that and his background in general, and then we dive into self-custody. What is a UTXO? All these steps that you should take to prevent and uh, you know really think about when you're going into self-custody of your Bitcoin. Uh, and then we talk about where we're at in the adoption cycle. So, you know, hodling Bitcoin in a bear market can be tough, but we talk about some of the, the cool things going on and other things like that. So be sure to tune in for another action-packed episode. And if you're listening on uh, any podcasting app, please, please, please hit that subscribe button so you get this directly to your feed. I really do appreciate you all sharing this with your friends and family. I think this is a very important episode for those just getting into the space. So be sure to tune in for another action-packed episode. And as always, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as financial advice. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And for those listening on podcasting 2.0 apps such as Fountain, I greatly, greatly appreciate you all sending me sats, streaming it, giving me boosts and whatnot. There's no boost on the last episode where people left me messages, but there were some stats streamed. So those are greatly appreciated. And I'm using those to kind of try to help and create a circular economy in Tampa Bay. So I use those to actually purchase one of the uh, Florida Beef Initiative boxes. Uh, obviously, you know, there, there wasn't enough uh, sats streamed in order for me to purchase that whole thing, but I was able to, you know, use some of that to, to purchase some of that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to picking that up when I'm back in town. And I also want to shout out uh, the Bitcoin Bay Workshop. So if you're in the Tampa Bay area, they're doing a Bitcoin Bay Workshop for all businesses where you can learn how to interact with Bitcoin. Uh, they'll, they'll go over accounting, taxes, and most importantly, storage, like what's the best storage practices and other things like that. Uh, I will put that event right in the show notes, um, whether you're listening on YouTube or audio. And then I'd also like to thank my sponsors. I got Bitcoin Miami 2023. If you're on the fence about going to Bitcoin Miami, I think you should do it because meeting Bitcoiners in person is one of my favorite things to do of all time. There's going to be a ton of Bitcoiners there in Miami, big names from Marty Bent and you know Ben Sessions and all the all the guys you can think of uh, who are going to be there making some announcements, just going hands, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing the whole nine. So use promo code Green Candle in all caps to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Miami ticket, and I hope to see you all there. And then lastly, shout out to Coddle Storage. You guys know Coddle Storage if you've been listening to me. They're the best punch plates in the game. Use promo code GREENCANDLE for 10% off of your punch plates. So get it off an exchange and use a punch plate to store that seed phrase. And now, after all of that, I've got a very special guest who I'm really excited to have on and have a great discussion with. I got Wicked here. Uh, so Wicked, man, how you doing? Hey, doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. For some reason, I'm sitting here looking at your animation, your picture that you got there, and I'm waiting for your mouth to just talk on it, but it's, it's not moving. But um, yeah, you, do, I'm, you do I haven't gotten around to that yet. 
Yeah, you do a bunch of great animations and other things like that. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and uh, yeah, kind of how you got started uh, in Bitcoin and decided to kind of start making some of these uh, great animations that we see all over Twitter. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd say I, I got officially orange pilled in 2020. So, like, you know, I'm pretty recent in terms of like being fully orange pilled, uh, but it was right before the bull run and... I came on Twitter for the first time. I didn't really know about Bitcoin Twitter very much. Came on Twitter, just started getting to know some people here, some Bitcoiners and whatnot. And then um, started making charts mostly for myself, just to track Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> statistics and stuff and just various uh, uh, qualities of Bitcoin. Uh, and then when I posted them, people liked them. So that's kind of how that worked out. And uh, since then I've transitioned, well, not transitioned, but I've like, <laughs> I've started doing more like education stuff. So like trying to teach plus about self-custody through, you know, going on spaces and stuff. Um, and then just education in the form of my animations as well, I suppose. Yeah. And, and it's great. Cause I think that's kind of how we met was through, through Twitter spaces and uh, you know, listening to you, I, I'm shocked to hear that you're uh, you know, class of 2020 because you know, you seem to have a lot of knowledge when it comes to, you know, whether it's self-custody. And then I, uh, I think I remember talking to you about BIP, either BIP11, what was it, BIP119 or whatever it was with the, the Jeremy Rubin, Rubin one, um, where yeah, I came on yeah. with you you and Gandalf, where we're kind of going back and forth on that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, guess talk a little bit about that, because it seems like you've kind of dived fully into the rabbit hole. Um so I guess what part of Bitcoin kind of, uh, I guess, most resonated with you in the beginning that that kind of made you, I guess, go down that rabbit hole? Because, you know, I kind of see like three, almost at three avenues of Bitcoin. You know, some people kind of see the energy aspect with mining, some like, you know, the, the code and kind of the development, seeing like maybe something like the Lightning Network and kind of dive into that. And then others kind of like the philosophical aspect of it, whether it's, you know, personal freedom, self-sovereignty, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, what what kind of, uh, I guess, drove you to to Bitcoin in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I um, so I'm 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 just a pleb and, uh, you know, I started to save some money and I just wanted to know where to put it. Right. And so once once I learned more about Bitcoin, I realized that Bitcoin is the money and, and you just save it and that's it and you know like i'm you know like being simple like you just kind of have to simplify your life in a lot of ways especially if you want to work and specialize in in a field like you can't be wasting your time worrying about investments and stuff so once i learned that bitcoin was better money uh it freed up a lot of time for me to do other things like make animations about Bitcoin, <laughs> but like, you know, other things too, like actually, you know, perform better my fiat job and stuff and all that. So I, I just really fell down the rabbit hole in terms of like realizing that this money, this tool, right? Bitcoin is just such a powerful idea for regular people who just want to work hard and save the wealth, right? It, it allows us to like unlock another level of, uh, you know, proof of work because now we have so much extra brain power. We don't have to worry about like, where are we going to, you know, put our shitty dollars and just like save our sats. That's it. So that was like, you know, that's kind of what brought me down the rabbit hole. And since then, you know, of course, like I've gone and tried to get to every, you know, you know, 
uh, nook and cranny, but there's it's never ending. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that that's a great point because I, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times with some other people, you know, on and offline and whatnot, but I think that's, that's kind of like the big eye opening thing for a lot of people is that they realize like, Hey, you know, I got to wake up early, got to either, you know, walk the dog, make breakfast, whatever, do the hour commute, then go, uh, you know, into the office, leave five, five thirty, sit in traffic, get back like six o'clock. And then I got to go home and research about, you know, what I'm going to do with my money, whether that's you know, stocks, real estate, whatever it is, uh, and then stress about making my dollar go as far as it can, because, you know, this inflationary monetary system just kind of puts people in this corner where eventually, you know, it, your, your, your wage is basically not going to increase at the rate that, you know, inflation is, especially now. And, uh, you know, if you want to increase your lifestyle and other things like that, it's, you know, it's just really difficult these days with that. So I, you know, I definitely resonate with that. And I think, you know, with what is all going on right now, whether it's the bank runs or, you know, the the massive amounts of inflation, I think, you know, more and more people are going to start kind of, I guess, finding Bitcoin in a sense. Uh, So I kind of want to get down the rabbit hole with you with self custody and the importance of that. So uh, let's just start there. You know, why do you think self custody is so important? And, uh, yeah, what, what what is your mission behind, I guess, like educating all these people to kind of, I guess, become self-sovereign in a sense? Yeah, um, definitely. So self-custody is, I'd say, one of the most important features of Bitcoin, right? So, I mean, you might get into Bitcoin because you want to save your money and, you know, and build wealth. But ultimately, what matters is that you keep that wealth. And if you don't hold the keys to your Bitcoin, you're trusting someone else with that Bitcoin. And it's happened many, many times that people who you know were trusted with Bitcoin lose it or steal it. So one of the really nice things about Bitcoin is that you can take self-custody. You can literally hold the keys yourself, right? Uh, you can do this in many forms. You can hold the keys by stamping 12 words into a piece of metal. You can hold the keys by, you know, storing it on what's called a signing device or a hardware wallet. You can hold the keys on your phone. Like you can hold the keys in lots of different ways that work for, you know, lots of different types of situations. But the point is that you can do that without having to trust anybody. So, you know, the responsibility gets put on you for doing it properly, but now you don't have to worry about someone losing your money or stealing it. Yeah, that's 100%, you know, correct. And then, you know, but but I guess, uh, let me play devil's advocate with you here. So uh, I guess to the average person, that might sound a little da- daunting. So I guess line out the process for me of uh, self-custody. And, you know, I, I mean, because I, although I'm playing trying to play devil's advocate, I can't like I, I can't do it because we've seen so many of these exchanges like, you know, Celsius, Voyager, and like there's cracks in Binance now. And we've even seen some cracks in, in Coinbase and some of the other major ones that, you know, from from an out to somebody who doesn't have, you know, a, a significant portion of a stack on any exchange. It just worries me for all these people that I know that that hold a lot because they're just worried about holding, you know, their own keys and whatnot. So, you know, explain that process. Like what what do you think, I guess, the best practice is to kind of, you know, pull off your Bitcoin off an exchange? 
And then, uh, and then let's dive into to what is a UTXO and uh, how do people, I guess, become a little bit more aware of their UTXOs? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we can kind of combine those questions because, you know, pulling your Bitcoin off the exchange <laughs> involves UTXOs. So maybe let's start with just defining that. Um, so UTXO, we'll break it down by the letter. U stands for unspent. TX stands for transaction. And O stands for output, right? So I mean, we probably don't have to get into like what that means specifically, but the point, you know, what a UTXO is, it's really just a chunk of Bitcoin, okay? So I think it's useful to think of Bitcoin in this case, like digital gold, because Bitcoin comes in chunks in the same way that gold comes in chunks, okay? And when you spend it and move it around, you're literally moving those chunks around. So you can move around one chunk at a time and it can be big or small, or you can move around multiple chunks, like you know, merge them together and send it into one you know, larger chunk or break it up into smaller chunks. So these chunks are just UTXOs. Uh, you know, a UTXO is a chunk of Bitcoin. It's a chunk of Bitcoin that hasn't been spent before. That's why it's unspent. And that allows you to spend it. <laughs> and then it turns into other UTXOs and on and on forever, right? Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's the idea behind a UTXO. And then in terms of taking it off an exchange, um, I don't know, do you want me to talk about like the different steps of self-custody or? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Talk about? Yeah, the different steps of self-custody, because, you know, I think, yeah, I'll let you kind of dive into it and let you, let you cook here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can approach this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So taking it off an exchange, um, a lot of the times, you know, exchanges just allow you to withdraw. Sometimes they might have a limit on how much you can withdraw. Um, but, you know, they just allow you to withdraw the Bitcoin to whatever address you want. And so when you get, let's say, an app on your phone that has a Bitcoin wallet on it, um, you know, example of this might be like Blue Wallet, for example, uh, there's, there's an option to so just click receive and then you get an address and copy that address into your exchange and withdraw it to that address. And that will come to your wallet in one of these chunks. So however much you send to that address, let's say you send 100,000 Satoshis, you'll get a UTXO of 100,000 Satoshis to your wallet, right? Um, so you know when we're talking about taking self-custody, I think it's important to realize a couple of things. One is it's important to have an idea of where each chunk has come from and then to have an idea of um, kind of like the, the different sizes of chunks you have. So you want to keep track of where they came from because in my example before where like you can mix chunks together right? when you spend them or send them somewhere else, Whenever you mix a couple chunks together, everyone on the network can see it, right? Bitcoin's an open ledger, which means that everyone can see every single movement of every chunk or UTXO of Bitcoin. So if you had one chunk that you got from you know, withdrawing from exchange, and then another chunk that you got from mining or you got from doing some work for your neighbor, then mixing those two would, would you know, in effect tell everyone on the network that, hey, like, you know, those two that just got mixed together are 
probably owned by the same person. So now you've lost some privacy and, you know, because one of those chunks was mined or, or earned from doing some, some work, um, that chunk was most likely, you know, you didn't have to provide your identity for it. So it's non KYC. And the chunk that you withdrew from the exchange is KYC. You know, when you put in your like ID and stuff into the exchange, <laughs> they track everything. So whatever chunks you get from the exchange, you can, basically treat those like they're being tracked by the government because they are. Um, but chunks that you get from anywhere else, you know, whether you mine it or, or earn it from doing some work or sell some stuff for Bitcoin, those chunks are not you know, necessarily tied to your identity or being tracked. So you want to keep those separate. Um, I guess the one of, so the, uh, the other part was like keeping track of, of the sizes. So this really has to do with like when you spend Bitcoin, if you, let's say you wanted to buy something that was a hundred thousand sats, right. Um, in the future. And all you have is chunks that are 10 million Satoshis or more. That could be um, like for security purposes, that could be a little dangerous, especially if that purchase is in person, because it'd be similar to like, you know, walking into a corner store and buying a candy bar with like a million dollar bill if it existed right? You wouldn't feel very safe walking home <laughs> knowing that the, the teller just saw that you had a million dollar bill. You know, he might tell his friends like, hey, that fucking stupid Apple has one of those million dollar bills. <laughs> like you should probably rob him on the way home. So like, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry for my language. I don't know if that's a problem here. No, um, that's fine. This isn't a kid <laughs> show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, that's kind of the idea behind like keeping track of your sizes, keeping track of where they're coming from. It's mostly forward-facing privacy and security concerns. You know, when you're buying something in the future that costs 100,000 sats, it'd be nice if you had a UTXO that's around the size of 100,000 sats, you know, so you can just spend the, the right chunk um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I guess one question. So you brought up the KYC aspect of things, right? So, um, you know, and, and kind of like the self self custody and like holding the different things. But why don't we, I guess, just explain like the different wallet types and like kind of ways that you can store, uh, you know, Bitcoin because you because you kind of I, I guess touched on it when it came to spending and other things like that. But um, mm -hmm. you know, I guess one like what are the main differences between like uh, I guess a Coinbase and a Blue Wallet, and then uh, you know maybe something like Sparrow. So for those who don't know, Sparrow is like kind of a I guess you know, I'll, let, I'll let you go into that uh, and I'll let you kind of explain sure. it. But yeah, I think like the, the other important aspect is like not only, you know, the UTXO management for, for spending, but also for saving. I think it can be kind of important too, because, you know, as you're describing it, you know, it, it's almost like the FDIC thing that we're seeing with like bank accounts, right? You don't want to have too much in one, in one bank account because uh, you know, if, something happens, you know, maybe you don't store it properly, you can run into some trouble. So um, yeah, let's talk about the different ways of like storing Bitcoin. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a few different ways. Um, I guess let's first talk about kind of, you know, some of the hot wallets, right? So a hot wallet is a wallet that is connected to the internet or, you know, periodically comes online. That's why it's hot. So, a few examples of hot wallets might be like, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, Blue Wallet, that's a uh, self-custody um, on-chain wallet that allows you to 
have your own private keys and um, nobody else has access to those private keys in the case of that wallet. Um, it's also, I believe, open source. So like, you know, you'll hear a lot of Bitcoiners talk about open source <laughs> and all that means, like when they say that is that the code is, you know, uh, basically you know, anyone can look at the code and check to make sure that there's no funny business going on in the app. Like they're not stealing your keys or making your keys and, you know, an unsafe way or anything like that. Um, so a lot of the times when you hear, you know, Bitcoin or talk about an app being open source, it's kind of like they're giving the, the stamp of approval by saying, you know, this has most likely been vetted. Um, and, you know, your Bitcoin is probably safe on there. <laughs> uh, a, a wallet that might be not open source and you probably don't want to use is like a, the Coinbase wallet, right? Like that one's definitely not open source as far as I know. Um, and, you know, even though they say that they give you your own keys, you don't know if they're storing your copy of them and you don't know if, you know, you don't know how they're making them and all these types of things like that. Um, so I would not recommend one like that. And then I'd say the, the one that I recommend the most is Sparrow Wallet. This is a desktop wallet. So it's only downloadable on your computer, right? Your desktop or your laptop. Um, but it's, you know, it has a lot more features and allows you to one of my favorite features is that allows you to see your utxos so like it allows you to see the different sizes of utxos you have and it allows you to label your utxos so you can keep track of them a lot easier um yeah so those are the hot wallets uh it's probably good to say like you know of the, of the hot wallets that I, you know, just mentioned, so Blue Wallet and Sparrow Wallet, and as a matter of fact, like, you know, I, I'd say most, if not all, Bitcoin-only wallets, I don't know of any instances where they've been compromised in terms of, like, you know, someone hacking into them and stealing your, your keys, at least, at least of the ones that are out now, right? I mean, there's been instances in the past, but, like, <laughs> the ones that are out now, you know, Blue Wallet, Sparrow Wallet, you know, some of these other ones. Um, those ones, I think they've, you know, they're, they're good to use. And so like, you're probably fine storing a little bit of Bitcoin in that way. Now, once you get to like a, a bit more Bitcoin, like once it becomes kind of your main savings vehicle, um, you might want to look into having what some people call a, is a cold wallet. And what that means is it's just like, your private keys were never on a device that's ever touched the internet. So, you know, a lot of times people will make these with, um, you know, these hardware wallets or signing devices that you see floating around. So like, you know, uh, cold card is a very popular one among Bitcoiners. It's a, it's a device that kind of looks like a calculator and it just, you know, it, it basically allows you to make your private keys, but it never connects to the internet. Right. So you can make your private keys and, you know, you're, you can be confident that there's absolutely no way <laughs> that anyone has seen those private keys, right? Like you just, you know, you never plug it into the computer. You never do anything like that. Those private keys are safe on that device. Um, so that'd be like a cold storage uh, wallet, right? And then one step further would be like, okay, you know, I'm planning on using this wallet for saving. I don't really ever spend, uh, you know, I don't ever really plan to spend it. So maybe you've generated your private keys from your cold card, but because you don't really plan to spend it, you just stamp the seed phrase in a piece of metal. And that would be like, you know, D 
deep freeze stories or something, right? Like, and then you delete it off your your cold card. So, like, yeah, you know, the only version of that seed phrase is on like a piece of metal that one hundred percent absolutely cannot be connected to the internet because it's a piece of fucking metal. <laughs> um, so that'd be like number three. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'd say yeah, I'd say that's that's like the main types of storage. With a, it's it's probably good to mention like with a signing device like a cold card. Or in the case, you know, if you stamp it as a piece of metal and that's all you have, with those you'll need a um, you'll need like a a wallet interface to generate receive addresses, and so this is where I would recommend Sparrow. Sparrow is really really good at interfacing with uh, signing devices and you know cold wallets or cold you know cold storage in general, right? Um, and it allows you to generate a receive address, but Sparrow never has, you know, access to your underlying seed phrase. So that stays offline. But yeah, I'd say that's, I don't know. What did I yeah, miss? Was... I know I missed some stuff there. No, you didn't. I don't think you really miss anything, but the the stuff that you named, uh, you know, is I guess the relatively safe, you know, and like, I guess that almost like, I guess gets the Bitcoiner stamp of approval, but you know, the previous way, but like before 2020, I think like the most popular way before a lot of these things kind of came out, I guess somewhat recently was, was ledger. And I don't know if, uh, you know, really mm -hmm. had any interaction with that. Um, but it is, yep. yeah, it is kind of interesting because ledger did get hacked. And I think I just pulled it up um, to 272, uh, had were, customers were affected by the data breach, um, where where essentially it was like one million uh, email addresses were leaked, personal information such as postal addresses, first and last names were exposed, and then because of all that, you know, I guess you can't really guarantee that the amount of you know Bitcoin or I guess it it holds other crypto too, unfortunately, but uh, you know other things like that uh, weren't breached as well. So you know, I think. As far as like things you named, you name the things that are that are so far the, the the proven to be the safest routes and the ones that haven't been been hacked because you know obviously like I said Ledger ha has been unfortunately. Yeah, I mean I think that hack wasn't Ledger specifically. That was you know they were using a service for storing customer information, and I think that's the service that got hacked, um, and that was unfortunate. You know, I was I definitely was part of that leak. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I use Ledger in the past and as a signing device, you know, like it worked right and never lost my Bitcoin or anything like that. But ultimately I decided to stop using Ledgers uh, because I was mostly uncomfortable with, so there's two things. First, you know, they're not open source. So even though they've had people audit their code, you know, it's, it's like it's people who are paid to audit the code, right? So that's a little different to me when it's people who are paid and people who are just like in there trying to find problems um, with like an open open source co code, sorry. Um, and then the other reason is because they support shit coins. So when you support shit coins, I think that it probably opens the attack surface up on your device because you're not focused on making the best, you know, wallet for storing Bitcoin securely. You're also working on... <laughs> How can we enable, you know, this and that and NFTs and all this, you know, kind of stuff that I don't care about. So when you enable all that stuff, what it means to me is like, you're not spending very much time on the thing that I care about, you know, and I want to make sure that I'm getting the product 
or the signing device that has a team of devs, you know, dedicated to making this the most secure signing device ever for Bitcoin, right? For Bitcoin only. That's the only thing I care about. Um, and it'd be nice if you throw in some, you know, additional features, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, the cold card has, you know, some cool features that I use. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit if you want, but, but yeah. So anyways, um, all that to say, uh, yeah, there's 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 devices that are Bitcoin only. There's devices that are you know open source, um, and I would probably tend to recommend those ones over over other ones. Yeah, well, let's let's get into it. What are some of the cool features that you like about Cold Card? And you know, obviously this this isn't a, a paid ad or anything like that. You just enjoy <laughs> the product, so um, you know, tell it should, us a little it should bit. be. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, if they want to reach out and sponsor the pod, I'm more than happy to to, to add them. So uh, my my DMs are open if they're listening. But uh, yeah, uh, let's let's hear it. Um, you know, why why uh, why Cold Card? What are some of your favorite features about it? And you know, obviously we we've kind of talked about you know, how it's not able to connect to the internet really and, and all the kind of, uh, you know, the positive aspects of it uh, in that sense. But what are some of the other features you like about it and uh, why it's like one, I guess you recommend? Sure. Um, yeah, so I like, so the first thing that I like is the dice roll uh, application that it has built in. So this basically allows you to generate your seed phrase by using dice, right? So you literally roll a, a a die or a series of dice. Um, if you want to, you know, generate all of your own entropy for your seed phrase, you roll a, a die, you know, a hundred times, right? Um, but yeah, you roll it a hundred times, you punch in the number, and then it will generate your seed phrase from that randomness or that entropy that comes from those dice. So I like that feature a lot. Um, as a matter of fact, like, you know, I have a ledger, right? That generates its seeds in some mysterious way. And I, you know, it's like, it's still a, it's still a good, you know, it's like a decent signing device, right? I only have the Bitcoin firmware on there. I don't want to throw it away. So like what you can do is with your cold card, you can actually make the C phrase in a way where, you know, you know, there's nothing shady going on. You make it with the dice and then you can recover that using the ledger. Now I still wouldn't use the ledger to like store a bunch of Bitcoin, but maybe, you know, it might be interesting to use it in like a multi-sig, for example. Um, but anyways, yeah, so dice roll, I like that a lot. Um, another feature that's cool is BIP85. So this is a, um, a, a feature for, for Bitcoin that allows you to make a bunch of brand new seed phrases by using just one seed phrase as kind of like the parent uh, seed. So you basically, you know, you have like a parent seed, right? So you get your 12 or your 24 words. That's your seed phrase. And then BIP85 allows you to make a bunch of child seed phrases, which are just indexes. So it's like, you know, you use BIP85 and you can make like unlimited, or I think 9,999 child seed phrases by just indexing between zero and, you know, 9998 or whatever. Um and what's good, what's cool about that is like if you you know if you're the type of person that's you know helping out a bunch of your family members or friends uh, set up their seed phrase, but they don't quite trust themselves to do it, or you don't quite trust them to do it, <laughs> you can you can generate their seed phrase in this way so that you know you can recover their seed if they ever lose it by 
having your kind of like your master seed phrase and the index of whatever child that you've given them. So one way I've done, you know, one way I've, I've used this is, um, you know, I stamp, like I'll stamp um, metal plates and send a specific amount of Bitcoin. Like I'll have metal plates that are like, you know, 200,000 sats, 500,000 sats, a million sats, right? I have all these various metal plates and um, I'll stamp the 12 word seed phrase on them that I generated from Bitcoin 85, but it's all using the same parent seed phrase. So I don't have to keep track of like every single seed phrase for every, for every metal plate. Now I just have to keep track of, you know, the parent seed phrase. And if I ever lose the seed phrase for those metal plates, I can just recover it with the index. Um, but anyways, I, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll get these out for the gifts or something. And that way, if they're ever like, Hey man, um, remember that metal plate you gave me three years ago? I lost it. <laughs> I can be like, okay, you know, I got you. Like, I, you know, I kept the spreadsheet, you know, whatever. Uncle Jim is index number four. <laughs> so I can like recover it in that way. Right. And I'll have to keep track of like a million, you know, different 12 word seed phrases. Not that I'm giving out, you know, millions of these, but you get the point. Yeah. So, I mean, talk to me about that when it comes to orange pilling, you know, newbies and, you know, explaining the importance of self-custody, you know, I guess, how is that received? Are you bringing this to, I guess, people who have never interacted with Bitcoin or maybe they've just heard it a time or two or think it's, you know, funny internet money? Like what is, uh, you know, what is, I guess, the in general, the response you get when you, uh, you know, maybe bring somebody this, uh, this metal plate? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. Well, it's funny because I think the response has, has actually gradually changed and in a good way. So the way that it was, uh, you know, maybe a, a couple of years ago or maybe even a few years ago was like, you know, what is this? It, you know, they, they didn't get it. They didn't have any motive to understand it. And a lot of the times I would help them either set up their own device, right? So like I bought a bunch of my friends and family's ledgers back in the day. And I'd help them set them up and like, you know, tell them about the seed phrase and be like, you know, keep this safe, put it in a safe, don't let anyone, you know, see it because they'll steal your Bitcoin if they do. Um, but a lot of the times, you know, they would just like, they'd get it, send a little Bitcoin to it and then forget about it. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, I still have a lot of friends and family who did it that way. And it's like, they've got a little bit of Bitcoin just, you know, saved in their safe and that's kind of it. And I'm, I'm expecting that once they decide they want to spend it or, you know, use it, um, they'll call me and be like, Hey, uh, how do I do this again? And then I'll be like, do you remember your pin? And they'll be like, no. And they'll be okay. Well, you're going to need that 24 word seed phrase then, <laughs> you know, and then we'll go from there. Um, uh, but more recently people have actually been a lot more receptive in understanding the importance of self custody. I think primarily driven by uncertainty in banks they realize the importance of being in control of your own money right so like i've got a lot of you know friends who are coming to me worried about their money in their banks and you know it's like the two options are it's like you take out cash and you have dollar bills which you know are you know becoming worth less and less over time um, and you're seeing it literally like year over year it's obvious now or you figure out how to do this Bitcoin thing. And it's like, you you know, you have it in the same way that you would have cash, you have Bitcoin now. You might not be able to spend it as easily, 
but hey, at least you can save it, right? For now, um, you can spend it in the future once people figure it out. But like, save it for now. But I think the the, the uncertainty with banks has just taught people that self custody is important, or at the very least, that you know, I mean, they might not know the words counterparty risk, but they understand counterparty risk is important to like to know about, or it's it's dangerous, right? Like. <laughs> It's dangerous to trust other people with your money. It's becoming more and more clear that it's dangerous to trust banks with your money. It's dangerous to trust, you know, anybody with your money. It's like you got to kind of just have it yourself. That's the only person you can trust is yourself, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the the key word there, hopefully, at the end. But, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, I, I, in my experience, anytime I've given anybody Bitcoin, it's, you know, been likely been on an exchange, whether it's like Cash App or something else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. as soon as the, as soon as the price goes down, they're looking at me like, Brandon, what the hell, what the hell did you <laughs> give me? This is a piece of shit. This doesn't work. You know, all this and that. But, you know, I'm kind of surprised to hear that you're saying that, you know, when you give it to them in, in cold storage, that they're, they're more receptive. Obviously they can't like really spend it and maybe because they don't have as easy access to like, I guess the Bitcoin price, they're not really like looking like at it constantly, you know, because the way mm -hmm. I feel about it is like, even with just general investments, whether it's stocks or real estate or, you know, gold or whatever, like if you don't really believe in your investment, that's where you get the paper hands, like people kind of just yeah. selling off because they don't really understand it. Uh, so I do think it's, it's pretty interesting that, that you've used that tactic and it seems to be pretty successful, but um, you know, in, in that note, like, where do you think we're kind of at when it comes to, to adoption, when it comes to, you know, like normies kind of understanding it? Um, obviously, this bank run has seemed to kind of help, uh, I guess, open some normies eyes that, hey, like, you know, this, like one, the, there's fractional reserve banking, which I don't think a lot of people realize that your bank actually doesn't have all the money that's in your account there. Um, and two, that, you know, a bank isn't necessarily safe. Um, so like in your opinion, like I'm not saying we're going to have like hyper Bitcoinization or, you know, everybody's going to be using Bitcoin tomorrow. But, you know, in, in that aspect, especially like in, in kind of like the U.S., like where do you think that we're at as far as like a general understanding of the importance of it and uh, the technology behind it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the general understanding of the importance of it is evolving in many, many different ways um and kind of accelerating in in the people who understand it and in the ways that people are are understanding it right it seems like there's like almost like a new way in which bitcoin's improving some aspect of you know life uh every few months just like holy shit i didn't even think about that and that's like you know then it comes up um but in terms of like general adoption I think Bitcoin is going to probably end up being very similar in its adoption curve. And this isn't anything new. Like everyone, everyone said this already, but like to the internet where, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I remember growing up and there was internet, but it was really shitty <laughs> and like nobody used it. And people talked about how nobody's going to use it because it's so shitty. Right. And it's slow and it can only do, you know, 14 transactions per second. 
you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then, and then, what do you know? Like twenty years later, all of a sudden, everyone's using it for everything, right? And they don't even think about it. Like you just use it; it's just part of your everyday life. Um, I think that's probably going to be the same type of thing with Bitcoin. Where right now we're in that phase where it's like it's still in its growing phase, and um, there's really, I mean, I think even well, more recently though, there's been a lot of development on top of it. So this is kind of that ramp up phase now where I think we're getting pretty close to where it will become effortless to use Bitcoin for the, you know, a normal person. I think it's already, you know, light years past what it, what it was even like five, 10 years ago. Right. Obviously. Um, but another five years, I think it'll be even more you know simple for normies to use it. And they will just be something that everyone uses. Right. You won't even think about like, Bitcoin on Lightning or Bitcoin infediments or Bitcoin on chain, it'll just be like Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, it'll be like, this costs 200 sats. And you'll be like, all right, here you go. Boop. And that's it. You won't even think about it. Um, so I think that's that's coming pretty soon. Uh, I do believe that, you know, it kind of has to go through the, the different phases. Like it has to literally be in enough people's wallets. Enough people have to hold it for it to be a useful medium of exchange. Otherwise, people just won't know its value or they won't value it right but once enough people have it then it becomes very obvious that you know you can start to charge people and you know charge people for things in bitcoin because they have it right if enough people have it then you just use it as money so i do think that's coming pretty pretty soon i, I would say five years i mean i, I try to like give really long you know more long-term estimates right like everyone wants it to come next year or in two years but honestly, I would be happy if it took five years. I, I might even be happy if it took ten years. You know, I've got, I've got a good five or ten more years of solid, you know, proof of work in me, uh, and I would like to pack my bags a little bit more full uh, before it becomes mainstream. So, the longer I have to, to get that stack, the the happier I'll be. Um, but if it happens, you know, sooner, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I'd say. Hopefully within five years, we'll be able to pay for our, our gas and Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that point because, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think in the U.S. and maybe even in other countries, like, I mean, if you look at El Salvador, right, I haven't been out there yet. But from what I understand, everything's still kind of priced in dollars, but you can pay in Bitcoin in like 90 percent of the stores or whatever it is, maybe 60 percent. I don't know. But, um, you know, nothing has really been priced in sats just yet. Um, yep. But I don't know if you've seen like kind of the recent news. We've seen like, you know, China is making a transaction in the yuan and there's other yep. countries kind of moving away from transacting in the U.S. dollar. So it would be interesting. Yeah. If somebody kind of prices whatever transaction it is. And I would imagine like you know, maybe it'll be more peer to peer in like the U S or something like that, or maybe like a store does it um, or something along those lines. But I think at the end of the day, most people are going to probably price things in dollars until, you know, I guess something like a big transaction from a country to country. And then, you know, some sort some sort of asset then be get, begins priced in it. And, you know, that yeah. assets most likely, you know, something like energy wise, like whether it's petroleum or oil or gas or something like that. Um, so but I, I, you know, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are kind of pushing it for 
you know, like you said, to be in the next couple of years, I still think like, you know, five years would be kind of quick. I think, you know, we need to do Mm -hmm. a lot of other development and things like that still. But, you know, as I say that, I didn't think we would be where we're at today, um, you know, Mm -hmm. like three, four, five years ago either. So, you know, you never know with this adoption curve, because like you said, it's gradually then then kind of suddenly too. So, um, you know, I I guess on that note, um, you know, when it when it comes to adoption and other things like that, you know, I guess, what do you think are the most important aspects that we need to improve in order to, uh, you know, get more widespread adoption? Do you think it needs to be, you know, uh, maybe more countries, uh, you know, adopting Bitcoin as legal tender? Or do we need to have, I guess, more development when it comes to apps? Uh, does like the user experience need to improve? Like, what are what are some of the things that you'd like to see improve and that you think would kind of help push that adoption a little bit more forward? Sure. I mean, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that payments is probably the the part that is the biggest, you know, kind of hole, right? And with Lightning Network, that hole is quickly being filled. Um, and I don't know, I'm like, if you've used Lightning Network over the past two years, like even from two years ago, it's gotten significantly better um both just i mean in part because there's just more liquidity there's more people using it right and so that it's it's a it's a stronger network in that sense but also as a protocol it's a lot of development's been happening on it and so it just gets better and better right as they kind of update it and make it um more efficient in different ways one thing that i'm looking forward to and i don't know a ton about it but this idea of splicing on lightning. So um, uh, Dusty Damon, I think is his name. He's a lightning developer. He's, he's working on splicing. And this, I think, will be one of those moments where it's like the internet all of a sudden being able to play HD video. And it's like, boom. <laughs> now we're all watching video on the internet because, you know, like, but like that came out of nowhere, right? You remember that? Like, when you when you couldn't and then you could and then like all of a sudden everyone's doing it so with, yeah exactly um, with, that that like kind of killed blu-ray because remember blu-ray discs that was around <laughs> for like maybe even just a year and i remember yeah, i got I, like a, pl- a playstation 3 or 4 or something and everybody's yeah, like oh my god I can, blu-ray. <laughs> yeah like oh my god i can play blu- blu-ray and they had yeah, to sell yeah. separate blu-ray like dvds and then yeah. and then netflix came out with like streaming and everything and that just killed yeah. everything yeah. yeah, streaming and streaming in 4K. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so, but similar to that, I think like, so just a little bit about splicing from my basic, basic understanding. It basically allows you to uh, adjust channel sizes on the fly, which is an incredible idea. So, <laughs> you know, right now the problem with Lightning is that like you're kind of tied up with the channels that you have and liquidity, and that it's a kind of clunky to shut down channels or to open new ones or to like kind of swap liquidity between lightning channels and on-chain, you know, UTXOs, right? But apparently with splicing, it should make this much, much, um, like a much smoother experience. And so uh, I think that that update alone will have a pretty significant impact. And of course, you know, 99% of people won't even know that, that it happened. They'll just be like, 
oh, lightning works a lot better and the fees are a lot lower all of a sudden, you know, and they won't even, they might not even notice it. They'll just be like, they'll just be like, the user experience will just be better and they won't even know it. They'll just be like, oh yeah, lightning's awesome, right? Um, that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, but yeah, so that's, you know, hopefully that will come out in the next six months to a year or whatever. Um, and it's just these little incremental steps and, and some larger steps that just make the whole system better. Uh, but I guess uh, the question was, yeah, what are, what are some of the, what is Bitcoin lacking? That was a question, right? <laughs> Aside from that, I mean, maybe like inheritance planning, you know, I don't know. We don't have to talk about that though, if you don't want, but like, yeah, that's kind of a boring mundane one, but like that's, that one's always tough. Cause it's just like, yeah, man, there's not really a good option for that yet. And, you know, we just kind of have to wait until there is, but, but so far it's, that's a tough one. Yeah. What is, what is inheritance mining? I've actually never heard of that before. Oh no. Inheritance planning. Inheritance uh, okay. Planning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> inheritance mining. Say, like, what, is that, what does that even entail? I don't know, but all right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think actually like some companies like Unchained and, uh, you know, Casa, I know Casa is kind of, you know, allowed people to, you know, multi-sig their ETH, but I think Unchained now allows you to do some sort of like inheritance planning where they hold one, you know, key or whatever. And if you, in the mm -hmm. event you pass or something like that. Um, so I know that there's some products, but I don't know. I doubt that they're very widely used to be honest with you, because, uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's planning that far ahead. Uh, in Bitcoin well, land. I, mean, I, I think I think you typically use those tools when you have a shit ton of Bitcoin, right? Like if you got a lot of Bitcoin, you're like, man, I don't feel comfortable holding or dealing with or passing on, you know, whatever. If you got like billions or more Satoshis, you're probably getting up there. So I think at that point, you know, you're probably uh, considering those types of products. But what I'm saying is like, it'd be nice if you could just do that in a self-sovereign way, right? Like if there was some type of inheritance planning features on chain and you didn't have to worry about, you know, trusting other people or having a, you know, a third party that has another key or whatever, right? I mean, th those systems work and people are using them, right? I think they work fine, um, but it makes it where it's like, there's kind of a barrier to entry, right? They're, they're pretty pricey and, um, and it involves, you know, a bit of trust. So, yeah. So it would be nice if, if there was like, you know, vaults. On Bitcoin, yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to go through this thought and thought experiment because I don't know if I've really, you know, I guess, thought about that because, you know, I, just in general, like as humans, as far back as we've gone, you know, when it comes to like inheritance planning, we've always had to trust, you know, somebody else or whether it's the law or a will or, or something along those lines that kind of, you know, helps, you know, those after we pass. And we've mm -hmm. never really had a, a way where, you know, you could essentially uh, go from, you know, I, I guess passing and then, you know, essentially just not even having to trust anybody that they, that your, uh, you know, relatives just kind of know what to do to, to get your Bitcoin. I don't know. That's a, that's yeah. an interesting little thought and thought experiment. Yeah. I mean, I, like one of the ideas is it'd be cool if, if it was easy to set up a system where, um, if you don't, you know, sign for your Bitcoin once every six months, say, then it automatically gets sent to another address that, you know, you've given the private keys to your children for, right? Or it gets split up and sent to like these various, you know, people that you want to inherit your Bitcoin. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if you could just do that on chain, right? Without anyone's help. Um, obviously, you, you know, some slick UX you know app would would help out, right? If you didn't have to like code it yourself, but <laughs> but it would be cool if there was, there was like an app to do that. but I think Bitcoin needs some updates. Um, can you still hear me? I don't know if I lost you for a second, but uh, Wicked, you still there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm still here. Maybe my internet's shitty. <laughs> well, Wicked, I, I don't know if you can still hear me or not. I don't know what happened. My AirPods died. And unfortunately, I can't. I don't think I can hear you. I don't know. But uh, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, uh, why don't you tell everybody, um, you know, where they can find you, where they can see your great animations and uh, yeah, what you all got going on in the Bitcoin space. Sure. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the audience can hear me, but uh, you can find me, you know, I'm mostly posting on Twitter, my animations and stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, W underscore s underscore bitcoin ws bitcoin um yeah i don't know that's really it i mean nothing nothing too special maybe you'll catch me on a space come on cafe bitcoins in the morning sometimes i run my own um about self-custody and stuff so if i'm ever running with those one of those you know feel free to come up and ask questions uh but yeah i think that's it man we're communicating through chat right now. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope Wicked is. It was all done with that, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom. We're going over UTXOs and all the great things that um, you know you you need to know to really dive into self custody and other things like that. Um, so I hope the audience really. I, th I think the audience is really going to enjoy this episode and learn a lot, especially for those newcomers in there. So um you know if you're listening on youtube please give this video a like and subscribe to the channel and if you're listening on any audio podcast please 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 uh subscribe wherever you get podcasts give it a five-star rating help the show out and uh wicked thanks so much man i'm gonna have to have you back on at some point in time uh, maybe to talk about some of these cool animations or other things like that so i appreciate you powering through with me at the end here when uh i couldn't really hear you unfortunately <laughs> yeah man thanks for having me on <sighs> this is so funny <laughs>